And we're live. What's good, bro? Hey, what's up, man? <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of a funny thing we're doing, right? Kind, yeah. of, kind of interesting, you yeah. know? I'm um, looking forward to it, though. Yeah, man. I, I'm really excited, dude. Thanks for coming out here today, man. I know Thanks for having me. Sundays are busy, dude. Tomorrow's the work week starting up, dude. I appreciate you coming out here. Oh, for sure. Anytime. Yeah, man. So um, how are you feeling today, dude? Feeling good. Feeling good? It's a, it's a beautiful day outside. Feeling good. Uh... Haven't seen you in a minute, so it's good to see you too, man. Yeah, man, I'm glad we got to catch up for a couple hours before this, dude. You know, it's like it's it's really tough to get time on calendars and shit like that, dude. Yeah. With this phase of life we're in, man, like yeah. living living by that Outlook calendar, dude. It's <laughs> controlling my life these days, man. I know, man. Crack one of these hoes open. Ah, <laughs> welcome everybody. <laughs> ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you sound like uh MC Vikram and Ludacrishna from back in the day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but yeah, dude, how was, um, how was, uh, um, what do you call it? Did you, did you go out for lunch today? Did you guys do anything? No, I mean, I had something at home. Yes, I'm at home. I just had, uh, went from mass to, um, the grocery store. Pete's, nice. Pete's Fresh Market. Dude, do you like, um, you like Pete's or Trader Joe's better? Uh, Trader Joe's Trader for sure. Joe's awesome, dude. I mean, the funny thing is, you know, uh, Steph got me on uh, Trader Joe's, but I love Trader Joe's. But you know, what's always funny is you go to Trader Joe's, and then you have to decide the grocery store. You have to go after Trader Joe's to get the rest of the items. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I went to Trader Joe's for the first time by myself on Thursday, <laughs> and now I understand why Alyssa goes by herself like all the time. Because I normally do like the, you know, like you said, you, you know, you have to decide what store you have to go after. Yeah. So that store for me is Walmart. So okay. all like, you know, if you know, like the the body wash and like when you had like toothpaste yeah. and all that stuff and even like milk and stuff, I'll get from Walmart. But um, so I went there because she was going out of town and um, I was like, dude, so I walked in and like I walked before I even got in. Some dude handed me a cart. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and then I walk in right away and I, and like somebody's like, hey, good morning. Welcome to Trader Joe's. I'm like, oh, thank you. You know, I'm like, I'm not used to this. Dude. I'm, I'm used to Walmart where like, you know, yeah. some lady's like beating, like beating her child. <laughs> like, you know, like, um, but uh, so I get in there and everything, you know, the store is like not that big. Mm-hmm. So like everything's like intuitive. Right. So mm-hmm. when I, I had like, you know, some carbs on my, on my like, like tortillas, bread, yeah. right. That shit was like right where I thought it would be. Yeah. Right. And like the salads, like intuitive, right where I thought it'd be. And like, the only thing that I couldn't find was this thing like called a, a mint oat chocolate bar, right? Okay. And that I'll tell you, I'll wrap this up at the end because, so I asked this lady, I was like, um, do you know where the mint oat chocolate bars are? Yeah. And she's like, like, you know, she's like putting her hand on her head. She's like, hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay, I got you, Trader Joe's. This chick doesn't know where shit is. This is your like flaw, right? This is your crush here. <laughs> And then, so I'm like, you know what? I'll find it. It's okay. She's like, no, no, no. I, I, I know where, I know where the oat bars are, but I don't know if we have mint oat bars, right? So then I go to the where the oat bars are, and she so, shows them to me. And then she's like, can I see your your list though? Like, and then she looks at it. It says mini oat bars, and, and I, so that I was like. I got to take that one back. I was like, ma'am, in my mind, I was saying bad things about you and Trader Joe's, but it's it's on me, you know? Happens to the best of us. Mm-hmm. So I was like, man, I felt I felt understood in Trader Joe's. <laughs> I felt like... Um, safe space. Yeah, I, I felt unconditional love for the first time <laughs> in my life. <laughs> it was awesome, dude. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if you have those similar experiences at Trader Joe's, but 
Um, the one the one I just went to kind of rocked me, bro. The thing about Trader Joe's I like is it's not overwhelming mm-hmm. as it comes to another like supermarket. Yeah. Have so you know they don't have that many options, which I think is better because you don't suffer from uh, uh, paralysis decision. by analysis. Yeah, decision paralysis. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, there's only so many options they have there. So uh, in that regard, you know, you walk into sometimes like a Mariano's or like something that you're like, well, should I get, you know, this type of yogurt or that type of yogurt, you know? And it's just like, what? You got like, yeah, you got like the regular Oikos, you got triple zero, you got Chobani. You know, it's like, there's too many. I just want one brand that's going to be good for me, dude. Just tell me what to get. It's um, a little bit more minimalistic. And uh, I think uh, the older I get, I try to be a bit more minimalistic as opposed to be a maximalist yeah 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 no and that, that and besides so then that's a good that's a good segue like what what about minimalism aside from what you just said is like the simplification simplification of the decision making what else about minimalism is like is is calling you uh you know there uh a couple of things you know i feel like uh one thing from a mental perspective, it just declutters your mind, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, the less stuff, you, especially unimportant or minuscule stuff you have to think about, the more you can focus on bigger picture ideas and yeah. deeper things. Mm-hmm. If you're constantly, your mind is cluttered with like all these little mini, minuscule, minuscule or unimportant things. Yeah. Uh, I find it that most people have difficulties concentrating on the bigger things in life. Um, and the second thing is, you know, just be, you know, I think you realize uh, without, you know, getting too political or anything like that, with, I feel like uh, the more materialistic you get, it's uh, it's one way of living. But in my opinion, I think that's an unfulfilled way of living. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it you, you end up going down a path and you... You oftentimes uh, don't realize you lost your way in life until you're down that path and getting back from that is the challenging part at that point. But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, living, prioritizing the things that you find important. And then, you know, uh, that translates to the other parts of your life, uh, goes a long way in this minimalistic philosophy. You focus on those things and maybe, uh, those things that are, uh, important, you do them well or invest in those things. I feel like, uh, it goes a long way as opposed to getting a bunch of little things that are, everywhere no i totally agree i totally agree are you are you a to-do list kind of guy you got like you got to-do list every day uh, i used to be a to-do list kind of person mm-hmm. um uh now i kind of you know i think uh we i think that uh, it was from the atomic habits uh, yeah, yeah we yeah. talked about earlier now i focus on like you know yeah I, there's things i have to do but then i prioritize them like i try mm-hmm. to focus on three maybe things i need to do and then if, yeah, I make a to-do list if I have to, or like a shopping list if I have to go to the grocery store or something. Yeah. But I try not to do a to-do list because I feel like I used to just do a to-do list for the sake of like completing things. But I was felt like I was always completing lower level, like low hanging fruit. Yeah. And I was not completing the big tasks. Sometimes those big tasks, you just got to jump into them, you know, and just do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause a to-do list can be like, exactly just like you said, it can be even more crippling. Yeah. You're just like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to put more like little things on my to-do yeah. list and say, look, Oh, I got all this yeah. shit checked off here. And then you're like the one important thing. It's like, okay, Hey, no, you didn't do that one. Yeah. And that's a big one about to-do list, dude. And like, I'm a big to-do list guy. Like I just, you know, I like to, for some reason there's some about putting pen to paper yeah. that I really like. I just like writing. So I like to like, you know, physically check things off. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> then like there's certain things that, you know, you'll write down like, 
like fill gas yeah. right like uh, that that's something that you got to do right you yeah. have to you need gas to drive places, but is it like the most um, effective thing to, that you need to cross off? Yeah. Is there something else like, you know, one thing I really want to do is like try to meditate like mm-hmm. 10 minutes. I'm like, I, I, I think that might be a good practice from what I've read about it, yeah. but I, I always skip that. I always like don't write that one down or, but that one I feel would be more beneficial in <laughs> a lot of ways than filling my gas. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know, like, um, but, but to your point, minimalism, less moving pieces, things like that, I think are, have always been like kind of a good mantra for me. It's like, Hey, look, the more you, the more pieces are moving, the more you have to manage and yep. the more management, the more men- mental space you gets attributed to that. And then you, you know, you just don't have it. You know, sometimes it's good to like not fill your mental space with anything, you know? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but in any case, any case, we are here today to discuss, um, uh, what, is it called Siddhartha? Yes. It's just called Siddhartha by Herman, was it, is it Hess? Uh, I thought it was Herman Hess, but uh, I think uh, the librarian corrected me. It's Herman Hesse. Herman Hesse. Hesse. I don't know, Hesse, Hesse, something like that. But well, Herman, we, you're fooling us all, dude. We ignit. We okay. ignit, all right? <laughs> I like, I thought Herman Hess had like some swag to it. That's what I thought too. So she, when I was returning my copy, I was like, here's my copy of Herman, you know, Siddhartha by Herman Hess, And he, she's like... It's Hesse, and I'm like, Ooh, oh, okay. Sorry, lady. <laughs> I haven't been back to the library since, so. <laughs> you ruined the library for me, dude. Sorry, I'm not a, I do the straight library snob right there. It's, it's Herman Hesse. Like, dude, can you, I would be like, but can you understand how, like, why I would think it's Hess? Can we both just, like, agree that, you I know. thought the E was silent, and I was like, all right. There's no accent. There's nothing that's telling me that that E has to be pronounced. Like, throw a Y on that bitch, dude. Make it H-E-S-S-Y if, if you want me to call you Hesse. Mm. well in any case any case um we we like this book herman all right if you're listening um so you know right off the bat right off the bat i thought it was a really great read because it wasn't a buddha story like i've heard before like i've i've you know you hear this this story about yeah he was maybe brought up hindu right and he kind of just like leaves a world of like pleasures and like the sensory world of of uh, submitting to his pleasures and he goes into the the forest and becomes the buddha through like some awakening right mm. but in this one he goes through like he goes through the various phases of life and he actually indulges in them i think like he 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 kind of denounced his hindu life right but then he he went to the forest and did that ascetic like samana thing where yeah. he was like a yogi for a little bit yeah and then when he did his thing with um Oh, I forget. Kam- Kamala, was that her name? Yeah, Kamala. The, the shorty. Yeah. When he yeah. was, he was fully indulged <laughs> yeah. in that life, right? Of being like a businessman and a merchant. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back to being like this dude who's like back on the ferry and being very like, you know, um, like he, he becomes simple, right? He just working that ferry with that guy trying to like go up in the mountains and yeah. stuff. So to me, it was a lot different because he went through fully those various phases of life. He didn't just denounce from the start. So before we get into any of like the specifics of those areas, what what were your early on sense? Did you carry those themes through or was yeah. it something else that hit I w- you? I would agree with you. And I feel like uh, one of the nice things about this book is it's not like, a, like you mentioned, it's not a traditional like Buddhist book where you need to have a in-depth knowledge of Buddhism mm-hmm. or uh, Hinduism. So, um, one of the things I learned about Herman Hess uh, after reading this book was that um, the author himself was a uh, his family was a they were missionaries okay. to India, yeah. so yeah, he was heavily influenced by Buddhism and Hinduism. But he doesn't make this book like 
uh, for only for people with uh, profound knowledge yeah. or expertise in Buddhism or Hinduism or their philosophy. Um, he makes it very accessible, and because I didn't go into it as like some Buddhist expert, but the little that I did know about Buddhism and the traditional story of the Buddha was that you know um, that he achieved uh, enlightenment or became the enlightened one. Uh, through uh, destruction of his ego, right, and that's how most, like you mentioned earlier, most Buddhist texts or stories, you know, go uh, destruction of the ego. But this uh, novel like flips it on his head, and he experiences what many would say like uh, at least three or four different lives right. all in one lifetime. You yep. know, um, he became an ascetic. He then jumped and became a uh, uh, a businessman, and then from a businessman, he became uh, kind of like led a very hedonistic lifestyle. Right, you know, right. gambled, you know, had all you know these like leisures and pleasures and stuff like that. And then he went back and became this uh, man of nature, and you know, became a river crossing fairy. Yeah, yeah, like random, <laughs> you know? right? Like, and but he like lived all these experiences. So yeah, I I agree with you. I felt like the same way. I thought it was. You know, I went into it thinking because the name was Siddhartha, which is the Buddha's you right, know, original right. name. I thought it was going to be like a kind of like a story of the Buddha. But the irony is it was kind of like an opposite of what the Buddha did to achieve enlightenment, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like deconstructing it, yeah. right? And it, it had, like you said, it had all the onsets of being just like kind of like a short filler book with some good takings because it's even like a small little book, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like a pocket book, you know? Yeah. So I was like, oh, this will be like, this will be good for me. I think I'll learn some things. It'll probably continue to spark my education about Buddhism, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I like reading about Buddhism, but like you said, I had no idea it was going to like, like kind of like you said, turn it up on its head, make you look at it from a different angle. And, um, and I, I think those are some of the best conversations to be had too. It's like when you take something that's common knowledge and just kind of say, well, why is that? Yeah. Right? Why do we do that? You know? Yeah. Um, and then, so starting, starting at the, the beginning of the book, um, where he is, um, you know, he's, he's at home with his father, right. And he is just something, something's not, uh, not, not right with, with the, with the, with the Hindu principles, with the various like religious ritualistic things he's going through. He doesn't understand why like sacrifice he's like is that the right thing to do like i i don't know is that going to mm -hmm. bring you like the happiness that like you want it to bring like what what is it why are you doing that you know mm -hmm. um and i think that was a an early onset of his his inability to settle right he just was always looking for answers now do you think in in your opinion that um he came at it the right way um in terms of saying hey look you know you guys are okay with these answers but I'm not okay, so I'm going to go ahead and search for something else. Or do you think he should have maybe stuck around and like tried to, you know, lean into that lane a little bit more? I mean, I think uh, to your point, he was an independent thinker. Yeah, right. He thought for himself, and I think um, he wasn't satisfied with the established uh, knowledge of thought. And when he questioned it, he found things that. He felt like the established knowledge of thought wasn't answering for him, so yeah. he naturally went and looked outside of it. And you know, he tried to, you know, these deep questions and these deep uh, thoughts of like, what is our meaning? Why are we here? You know, all these like deep questions. You know, the traditional answers weren't sufficient for him, 
And, you know, I think if we try to envision ourselves in the Buddha's time to question those things, especially from established uh, leaders and stuff like that, it's kind of not a, you know, thing that's done lightly. Yeah. So I felt like, you know, he regard you know couldn't suppress those feelings of uh uh those questions so he went and just followed them you yeah. know and led him down this path that uh i don't think he expected to be led down right right and you know it's interesting too because because you know like you said he was an independent thinker and he he wasn't okay with just saying just accepting that this is how things are right and i think that's a that's a big that's a big one i think for me personally too i think in general where we say hey look you know some people are able to drink that kool-aid right and, yeah. and they don't need deeper explanations like you know it's all relative but you don't need a certain level of explanation past a certain point right mm -hmm. but like for me personally there's things where like hey look if i if i question it and you give me an answer and you're you're like okay with that answer but i don't mm -hmm. understand it and you can't elaborate anymore and make me understand it then I say, hey, look, I, I maybe need to just kind of move on and find an answer deeper than this, right? And for me personally, right, for me personally, religion was like that a lot for me. Mm -hmm. Or I would be like, you know, I'm going to ask you why we do this, right? I'm going to ask you why we do this. First of all, you're met with resistance when you ask yeah. why, and that's a big one. That's a big red flag. But then secondly, when you, when you meet people who are a little bit more well-versed in the religion and they want to communicate with you on it, you know, there's a point where they go, that's just how it is, actually, and and you have to and that's that's the faith component right mm -hmm. and that's part of religion and things like that um but it seems like buddha was not able to to take that as an answer you know he he might have needed something more concrete so i think he even takes it to the extreme yeah. because he he does that in this next stage right he his first thing is to not become a businessman <clears throat> or a you know lead a life of hedonism he takes that religious spirituality aspect to the extreme uh, and becomes like an aesthetic, like yeah. a samana, you know, like uh, like a hermit, you know, like in you know, in I think for Christian Christianity analogy, like um, like the Saint Francis of Assisi, uh -huh. who who renounced all traditional forms of Catholicism and not all forms of Catholicism, but you know, in the sense of like you know being a traditional priest and you know serving the priesthood, and but basically lived uh, as a hermit. Uh, for several years in yeah. the woods and stuff like that. And that's, so I think the interesting part was he's like, okay, you know, I don't have the, you know, you, what you're telling me is not satisfying me. So I will take what you tell me and take it to the extreme and see, maybe that will give me the answers. And I think he also finds that that doesn't really give him the answers either. You right. know? Yeah. And I, that's a big part of Buddhism, right? Yeah. It's like, so so one thing I thought was really like super dramatic was remember when he was like leaving when he was gonna leave he just kind of stood outside all night <laughs> yeah. until his dad like you know said he gave him his approval yeah I'm like dude what if your dad never gave you his approval you're gonna just stand outside <laughs> yeah. for the rest of your life dude you don't gotta go to the bathroom or nothing but um anyway <laughs> um, it it's like a that's like a little semantic but. I think Buddhism in general preaches that. So, you know, you've seen a lot of the normal, so like Hinduism, I'll use that mm -hmm. one, right? So you have like, you know, like the, um, like the, like, you know, Arjun and all his brothers, like the Pandavas yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So what the normal routine for a lot of the, that, those stories is like, okay, so there was a problem in the kingdom, right? Yeah. And they got exiled and went to nature and became these ascetics, right? Yep. And they learned something that had an epiphany in nature. And then they came back and like, it all was good. They yeah. got like the calling and they were good to go. 
And I think, so he leaves, right? Siddhartha leaves, and then he goes to um, the the woods and becomes this ascetic Saman, mm-hmm. right? And he accepts that, right? But he doesn't get the epiphany there, right? That's not oh, where it yeah. stops. He yeah. There's like still two or three more parts of his journey. Because yeah. to your point, it's like you can't just be this person who denounces life, yeah. right? You have to find a way to mesh into real life yeah. by having this level of, and have this level of wokeness where you're not like tied to too many outcomes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I thought that was, that's why I really like Buddhism, man. It's such a practical religion, you know? Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times people misjudge it and think of it's like this new age, you know, like uh, mushy gushy stuff. And yeah. maybe some of the people who uh, preach it or, you know, write stuff about it or speak of it come off that way. But it's like a religion that's thousands of years old and incorporates a lot of things from other religions as well. Hinduism is very much, you know, incorporated in there. And a lot of other deep philosophical uh, concepts are in there. But uh, it's it's interesting because I like to think of it as like in for like Western cultures, it's kind of like a more complex version of Stoicism in right, a lot of regards. Right. I feel like Stoicism you know, in, in like ancient Greece and stuff was like a way of living life, but never considered like a religious aspect, right? But I feel like Buddhism expounds upon a lot of the concepts of stoicism and takes it into like a metaphysical or spiritual realm yeah. kind of thing and takes it even deeper. Like one of the things I thought that the author did really well was, you know, the, the about that concept of time. In like Buddhism, they don't, it, and I think he tried to, in, you know, say it in like his journey, like, like time is not like a linear thing, but he explains the story in a very linear way. Yeah. For them, like there's no, like time is like this like concept of a circle, like with no end or beginning kind of thing, you know? And um, hence the, you know, the cycle to break it and all that kind of stuff, you know, not just time, but the wheel of suffering, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, um, I thought the author did a good job of explaining that because I feel like if you just came off the gate like that, we would have been like, uh, what, what are you saying? Like, I don't understand this, you know, like I don't get it. But he's like, you know what? I'm going to put it in a way that it's almost like reading a little bit like poetry. Like yeah. some of the way he said it is like flows very quickly. You, like you said, it's a very slim novel, but like the, when you, it's like a page turner, like by the, you, 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 you like maybe take a break and you're like, wait, I'm already this far right into the book. Like, Oh yeah, no, I completely agree. And like, you know, along with the env- uh, environment of being like in nature, right? So, you know, when you denounce something, like I think you inevitably pass judgment on people who consume or interact in that life, right? And he, he had that. He would yeah. be like, hey, you know, you know, I just want to, I would love to like, um, you know, you know, this person who's worried about like some, some worldly thing, I would love to be like that excited about that. You know, I would love to, but you know, life is suffering, life is pain. And he's like being, a, he has a little bit of a darker lens, kind of like a judgy lens. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is such so applicable, right? Yeah. Like when people are in general, I feel like when people are not doing well in life or they have some kind of internal debacle, even in modern day, they're very likely to throw their problems and project it onto somebody else and yeah. be like, Hey, you know, Oh, that dude's because he's happy. Like I, he sucks, you know, or something like that. Right. Yeah. And you, you kind of like me personally, right. From experience, I would, I would, when I was like not at my best mental state, I would feel like I would be, I'd be judgy to other people, man. Yeah. And I would, I, and like, you know, now I reflect on that and be like, that's not good. But I, you know, it's interesting that someone like Herman Hesse yeah. is able to do that because like I said, I've never heard 
this Buddha story told this way. Yeah. So I wonder is like, dude, I wonder what his experience is and like how like he might have had some influence on the story as well, you know? Yeah. So, you know, the interesting thing is like um after I read the book, I did a little research because he he has a bunch of other books as well. And so I, when I he he is obviously German and he wrote this book, I want to say originally during 1927. So yeah. this is right after World War 1. So Germany uh, had to bear the brunt of the fallout from World War One, rightfully so. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, and right before World War II. Right. So a lot of this, uh, you know, fascist and Nazi elements were starting to emerge during that time. And because the country was going through all this unrest, the people uh, were, uh, you know, unhappy with what was going. They were going through a big depression. Things were, you know, not looking good and, you know, and I think he wrote this book because he wanted the people, instead of looking for external, like look outwardly, you know, yeah. uh, at their situation, he said, we look inside first. And fortunately, the, you know, the, the culture and the time, you know, this is an oversimplification of it, but, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. but essentially they look for out, you know, external things to explain the, you know, like, oh, it's the Jews that, you know, are doing this and all that kind of stuff instead of looking inwardly to explain this. And I think that's part, not his only reason of writing this book, but I think a motivation for him to write this uh, book during that time, because he was like, hey, don't look outward look inside first dude i gotta read that article man or that whatever because that i did read that this book was written so long ago yeah. but i didn't do that deep dive on that whole post-world war one thing yeah. and that makes so much sense why it'd be written the way it is you know yeah. context is everything man yeah. um but yeah, like, no, going, you know, like I said, going back to the, the book itself, man, it's, it, I think it's very true where the whole concept of looking inward, mm -hmm. you know, cause like life, life, you can change like life's lens and, and so did Siddhartha, right? You can, you can change your whole life lens by just, you know, like worrying about your own problems, right? Like you can't worry about problems externally all the mm -hmm. time. You know, it's very tough to um, worry about things outside of like your locus of control because you yeah. just go mad doing that stuff, you know? I feel like, you know, it's, you know, you know Buddhism is like the only, not the only religion or, you know, not even Indian culture is like the only thing that preaches this, right? You hear in Western culture, before you can fix other problems outside of you, you have to make sure your own house is in order, right? right? right, right so right. I feel like that, that uh, message is universal across cultures and religions. You know, first, you know, see inward first and fix that or not, you know, like see what's the issue there before you can go and fix all the problems in the world. You know, if, you know, I feel like oftentimes our thing, our generation is guilty of it. We like to travel or do all these other things. Maybe when our mind's not right hoping that the travel or something could fix it outwardly, but we end up, what, just bringing our problems to another country? Exactly. It doesn't really fix it, but if we try to look inward first and see what's the issue that's bothering us and then go and travel, I feel like that will be like, it, it, you know, it gives us reminders of, you know, what what's really important in this life. No, totally. And, and like the, your style of travel could be very different, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I feel like both of us, you know, we do our thing. We have different types of trips we take, right? Yeah. Like sometimes we're really like turned on a trip <laughs> and sometimes we're different, right? But, you know, 
as of late, like we've been going on a few more like, you know, reflective trips where like we're not raging as hard. You know, yeah. we do our thing. We, t- we can do our thing. But um, we, we're like, you know, when we went to Scotland, dude, yeah. we were like chatting a lot. We took a lot of long car rides and yeah. we were like reflecting and we were in nature a bunch. You know what I mean? And like as opposed to, you know, like I said, a few maybe a few years ago, we might have gone to like somewhere just to like only turn up and numb ourselves out the entire time, which I would still yeah. do with you any day. my <laughs> friend. But um, it's like, you know, like you said, you can bring your problems somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can do that or you can be in a new environment and you can understand like different people's stories and those yeah. environments and how they've come to fruition and things like that. You know what I mean? So it's just a totally different vibe. I, I've. I feel like uh, self-reflection and confronting those things is one of the hardest things a human being can do because it's not easy. Yeah. And I think we as humans, you know, just from my experience being another human, <laughs> what's <laughs> up, know, human? Uh, I feel like we try to avoid that as much as we can. Yeah. We yeah try yeah. to, like you mentioned, like maybe when we were in college or something, we, instead of like asking ourselves, what's really bothering us, we would say, you know what, let's just go out tonight, yeah, you know? Yeah. Not saying, you know, uh, at that time, you know, with our, that, you know, our understanding and our, you know, limited context, maybe that, you know, that was a, a one way of dealing it, but, you know, doing that for the rest of our lives, I don't think maybe, you know. Dude, it would, I feel like it would cause heart problems, <laughs> cause like relationship issues, yeah. man. You cause hair loss, dude, all those types. You can't harbor those things anymore, dude. And I almost, it would almost be like, obviously, you know, you, you're one of, you're one of my best friends and you would like love me if I was, you know, in a bad way, you yeah. know, but it's like, um, like for me personally, with the state of mind I'm in, it, I feel like it would be almost selfish of me to like bring a bad version of myself to you in yeah. a way that wasn't communicative. Like if I, if I wasn't like, Hey bro, you know, like, I'm kind of feeling down today. Can yeah. I talk to you about that? And then, then we'll have a good time after that. But yeah. like, it would almost be bogus for me to come to like a birthday party of yours and be like, dude, you know what, man, I, I'm just going to go there and I'm in a bad space. I'm just going to go ruin this dude's birthday party yeah. with my issues. You know what I mean? Like I have to be objective about that, you know? But I think both me and you have seen people and people that we know and care about do that same exact behavior, right? right. Because maybe they don't know how to communicate what they're feeling because they haven't first looked inward, right? Yeah. And they go out and just get belligerently drunk and act a fool. And we're like, oh, you know, why is he doing that? And us maybe not knowing like, hey, maybe something's going on that he hasn't, you know, he or she hasn't been able to look inward and resolve, you know? Right. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. And I feel like even now I feel like I'm better at it, but there's days where I'm just like, you know what? I'd rather, you know, do something outwardly than face that what's the real issue right inside, you right know? right 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 what are what are your do you have any any um what do you call it? do you have any exercises for self-reflection that you work in um so i think for me personally journaling especially helps me form what i'm trying to say i feel like especially if that if i'm holding a lot of anxiety and handling a lot of uh stress in my mind uh, I'm not the best communicator, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. when I'm feeling like that way. So it, if I journal first and try to put my, like you mentioned, pen to paper earlier, uh, put my thoughts onto paper, I can better formulate what I'm trying to say. So whether it's in my relationship with my wife or with my parents or with my with you, you know, if I'm feeling bad or I'm feeling something's not right, I can communicate how I'm feeling better if I write it down first. Yeah. Because 
I've learned my nature is unfortunately, if I don't first write those uh, ideas out, uh, maybe I communicate it in ways that, you know, can be hurtful or right, destructive, right. unfortunately, you know, totally, totally agree. That's that. And that, uh, you know, I, le- I learned things a lot, you know, when we discuss stuff like this, um, journaling is a big one. I, I journal too, you know, and yeah. I think it's good to have internal dialogues. I, I walk a lot, you know, yeah. and even sometimes when I drive by myself, it's like, I'll speak out loud, like to myself, yeah. you know, and I'll just be like, and then one of the main things I think that I'll do is once I started having journals for like years, mm-hmm. I would go back and read some. Mm. And then I would be like, dude, you were kind of negative. Like I was yeah. like, you were kind of being like, like what was wrong with you? You know, like, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. And like, there'll just be like these dark undertones to like everything I'm writing, like, mm-hmm. you know, back in like 2016, 2017. Um, and then now, like, you know, I went back and go through like my 2020 journals and yeah. my 2021. I'm like, oh dude, there was a paradigm shift somewhere, right? Yeah. Like where you were complaining about little nuanced things all the time. And you were just like complaining about everything all the time. And now like the complaints are kind of gone and yeah. it's like glass half full versus glass half empty, you know? And then when I started realizing, I'm like, dude, you should do make this more of a like a daily practice. Mm-hmm. Like you should micro analyze like your yeah. thoughts and just be like, dude, are you is that thought even remotely negative? And if it is, trace it all the way down yeah. to the bottom, you know, and th- those things have been really beneficial for me. That's amazing that you do that, man, because that's like you can see. I feel like there's so many benefits you get from that. You can yeah. see your growth your personal growth you can measure it you can see like oh wow i was feeling this way now i'm feeling this way and i feel like uh you have a better understanding of your emotions and how it affects you because i feel like oftentimes as you know you know our you know when we were raised from our culture you know as males um <clears throat> we're taught maybe emotions or uh, we're supposed to suppress them yeah and push them aside but i feel like by you doing that you have a true understanding of what your emotions you feel them you understand them, and then you're better able to uh, not be a slave to them. You're better able to be like, hey, I have emotions, and I'm better able to express them in healthy and constructive ways than just being like a slave to your emotions. Yeah, gold, that's spot on, spot on. And like, you know, not to be all like work, to, you know, about it, but like, you know, like, you know, in our in our roles, in our professional roles, we work with data every day, right? <laughs> we work with data, and I don't know, like, one thing that I've realized a lot about that is like, you know, you know what I what I would normally do or historically, is I'm not applying any work related principles to my personal life. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's some things you can carry over. Right. There's definitely yeah. project management stuff. Yeah. And one thing like data wise that I've noticed is that one piece of data means nothing yeah. unless you put it in context. Right. Yeah. Like you have to couple it with another piece of data. Like yeah. if I'm going to say, hey, I, I lifted your whatever. I boosted this 37 percent. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. What is the industry average? What yeah. is like, what, what did you do it last year? Right. So, and what were the variables there? Yeah. So then I started just kind of thinking about that in terms of my personal reflection, right? Like, Hey dude, saying you're happy right now, that's a good thing, right? I'm, ha- I'm glad that you're happy, but what does that mean in context of like the broader picture, right? Yeah. Saying it in, yes, in 2022, May, I was happy, but like, <laughs> the, were you like, well, how are you last year? How yeah. are you the year before that? Has it, gotten better has it gotten worse you don't have to form an opinion or anything like that but what's the state of that year over year and shit like that you know what i mean (laughs) otherwise it's just noise right exactly it's just bogus information that is not meaningful you know so that's why i thought context was always a good point for me emotionally as well but Mm -hmm. it's hard to because you can't quantify emotions as as easily you know that's true yeah man but in any case we'll we'll come back to the book here um (laughs) but uh 
Yeah, so so okay, so he so you know he goes he gets into the forest right, and then he happens upon um, he starts hearing about this dude uh, Gotama, right? Yeah, and which is another you know mind f because I thought Siddhartha Gotama was was the Buddha, yeah. right? That's historically what it is, right? Yep. Um, so he he's hearing about this guy, his uh, his Fun. boy Govind. What you got? Fun fact: uh, the name Siddhartha I found this out recently means one who achieves his goals in Sanskrit. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one, dude. Yeah. Sanskrit is a is a wild language yeah. that nobody speaks in, um, yeah. which is weird because all those texts are written in Sanskrit, yeah. you know? Um, kind of like Latin, right? No yeah. One? I mean, I guess, you know, if you go to a rich enough school, private school, you learn some Latin, shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, so, you know, in, in my Sunday school, there would be like... So you would get, um, if you were like, I don't know, like holy enough, you would get selected <laughs> for this like mission trip that you would take um, and you would stay at an ashram for two years. And it was usually young men who went, mm -hmm. right? And then they would come back and you would fully learn Sanskrit over there. And I, I would be like, that is only cool in like this <laughs> setting. You know what I mean? I'd be like, hard flex, man. I wish I could, but like that is only cool right now, dude. So is it safe to say you weren't selected because you weren't holy enough? I wasn't holy enough, man. <laughs> my, my unibrow game wasn't strong enough. <laughs> too, too much separation, oh. dude. <laughs> yeah, dude. No, not for you. Oh, no. Two eyebrows, too many. <laughs> but, <laughs> dude, but th these guys would go, man, and they would come back, and they, they would definitely be a little bit more tranquil, man. I would, so I'll give mm -hmm. them that. I, want, I would go now, like, you know, as a, as a practice. Um, but you go there, there's no TV. It's like fully mm. ashram life. And I'm like, that's, that's pretty cool. But it, I feel like it's like, dude, what, what did you send them back with to yeah. mesh into normal society? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? You gave them like this knowledge. So they were here first in this Sunday school where knowledge was like really only applicable mm -hmm. in this Sunday school, right? It was out of like memorizing yeah. you know, mantras and stuff like that. That's only applicable in, in this setting. And then you send them to a, a totally re remote setting mm -hmm. where everything they learn is only applicable in that setting. Yep. So you're kind of like forcing them to be a little uh, like a, you know, fish out of water in two areas, you know, yeah. like, and that's what, that's why I, you know, early onset, I was just like, I don't really agree with that type of education. Mm -hmm. I, I think it would be beneficial, but like, you know, you come back to Buddhism and you're saying, all right, now this dude was given like the proper material to mesh back into society and not have the same type of stressors that he had initially, you yeah. know, but you know, that's not, that's not here or there. So this guy, this guy, right. His, his boy Govinda is like, yo dude, you know, uh, Gautam was like the, the shit, like yeah. he's got it down and Siddhartha doesn't believe it. And then he starts upon this tangent about what we were talking about earlier, where he's like, I'm, you know, it's not that I don't think Gautama is like smart. It's like, I am just not, I'm a denouncer of doctrines. Yep. Like, I don't think that like anyone telling me what is right is actually correct until I figure it out for myself. And then we come to the argument of, or not the argument, the, the, the note of, uh, was it knowledge versus wisdom? Yeah. So, I mean, I think uh, he realizes at the end of the book when uh, he meets up with Govinda again, but I think he has before then, during that moment, they both travel to visit uh, Gotama, right? Yeah. The Buddha. And they, they're with his disciples, and Govinda is, like, enthralled. Like, he's, like, totally, like, this is the way. I'm going to follow this dude, and, you know, I'm going to be enlightened by following this dude. And then uh, Siddhartha, on the other hand, like you mentioned, it's not he's not easily as convinced. You know, he still has a lot of doubts in his mind. And he goes, and he's, like, reflecting upon it. And one day, I think while he's reflecting upon it, 
the the Buddha meets up with him and he asks the Buddha and he and they have this conversation and essentially the Buddha says the same thing like uh, it's not something I can just teach you you know it's not like knowledge you know like hey if I need to you know build a bookshelf I can learn a you know watch a YouTube video and I can learn how to build build a bookshelf but sometimes you know just doing uh, it by yourself you learn like the intricacies of the wood that you use and mm -hmm. all these other like things that come from just experiencing yourself and that's that wisdom and i think that's what he was trying to uh say and i think that's what uh siddhartha at that time was trying to understand and communicate but maybe he was still early on in his you know journey where he didn't really know how to communicate or say that in a way he's like you know so he knew but he knew it deep down like i have to keep searching you yeah. know i have to keep going i can't stop here unlike his friend govinda who's like you know what i'm gonna stay here i got it yeah yeah and like you know kudos to him for for govinda for you know finding what he needed right and you know just to, to something i want to peel back with you is um so you know there's like a little bit more nuance or specific right yeah. So the author, when they when they finally meet um, the Buddha, right? When they yeah. finally meet him, they say he's dressed like everybody else. Yeah. He's wearing the same stuff. But they were like, you you hundred percent knew right away that that was the Buddha, right? Yeah. And they were like, in the way he was walking, like in his in the way he was mm -hmm. just like discussing things with people, and just the, his movements were very like he didn't have any like real like, intention or haste behind them he was mm -hmm. just kind of frolicking and he had this like <laughs> smile to him you know yeah. and you know that that's a really little detail but if you like kind of peel that back right you know and when we're talking about the activities we do and stuff like that like we we have like such razor agendas right there yeah. we need to get this done by this time we compartmentalize things right yeah. and one thing that i thought was really interesting and, and i try to do is like leave time right where you don't have an agenda right where yeah. where you can just free form go and you and i think that's where like some some bliss and you know tranquility comes into play you know what yeah. i mean um so did you pick up on any of that or and if you did do you do any yeah. of that stuff too yeah definitely I, I think i picked up on some of that i think the yeah like you said i think the word in traditional buddhist uh text is uh, anatman or something like that where you know he achieves you know enlightenment you know mm -hmm. and that's you know, a man who, or woman who, or being who has achieved enlightenment doesn't really, you know, care about the human concept of time anymore. Yeah. Everything is just, it's just being in the moment, you know? And I feel like we always get told to just be in the moment as like, oh, just go and do it, you know? But then I'm like, well, I got all these responsibilities I got to do. I got all this shit I, you know, yeah. I did in my past that I got to think about, you know, all these other things, you know, on my mind. But like you mentioned, you know, you know, there, I feel like there's days where you just have uh, a little bit time for yourself where you don't think about all the responsibilities you have. You don't think about all the things you did in the past and you just are there and you are whatever you're doing, whether it may be you're just like reading or you're just, you know, doing, you know, you don't have to be any plan to do anything. You just, you're just there, but whatever you're, it is, you're just there in that moment and you're fully engrossed in it. And I yeah. feel like the more of those moments you have in your life, the more that you're really truly living it, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, not saying that. And, that, you know, a lot of people interpret that to be like, you know what, I'm not going to plan. I'm not going to reflect. I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm just going to live every day by the seat of my pants, you know, and then, you know, but that, but I think that's, um, you know, misinterpretation of that, you know, and to your point, you know, yeah, I feel like as any, if you look at the lives of any really creative person or genius, that's how they get their creativity done. It's not like this methodology that's, you know, like this structure that's, there's structure in their lives to get to that point. But once they actually do their creative thing, 
it's kind of uncertain, just flowing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah, I think that was, was like a long winded way of no. <laughs> to your answer. No, it's, I, I like it, man. I like it. I like all of that detail, dude. And that's, that's what I'm trying to hear. It's, it's, it's really interesting, dude. Cause like I was saying, we, we put ourselves in boxes a lot, you know, and we, it's, it's hard, even in this book, right? Anti-fragile we're reading. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to rationalize doing something it's hard to rationalize not doing something, yep. right? Like, like he talks about that whole thing with, um, I forget, it's th th like he talks about, you know, when, when medicine like intervenes too much sometimes, I forget mm -hmm. what the, the, the term he uses for it, but he, you know, it's easy to say, hey, look, you know, if you go, let's say you go to the doctor often, right? Mm -hmm. And it's good to get checked out, right? Yeah. But if they, they, they're more likely to find something and if it's, let's say it's like not life-threatening or not major, they mm -hmm. might do a test on it. And a lot of tests actually are things that cause it to worsen, right? Yep. And they and like there should be a certain threshold by which you do check it, and then but there's also no reward given for like not checking it, right? Yep. Like you, and so like there's always incentive to do it. And to, coming back to the book here, it's like you don't ever get kudos for your your creative time, mm -hmm. right? You don't get create you don't get kudos for like sitting there and pondering, you know. Yeah. You get kudos and satisfaction internally and externally from checking something off or, yeah. you know, going to do this. You get yeah. all like, you get sensory rewards, you get sometimes monetary rewards, you know, you get all that stuff, you get more engagement. And you know, the thing I, I also realized from that scene where he meets with the Buddha is like, also pr spoke profoundly to me was uh, not only, he didn't, you know, I feel like Siddhartha didn't, even though he had doubts, he didn't think that he knew better yeah. than the Buddha. He says, this is a person who has achieved enlightenment in his own path. Right. And I also want to achieve enlightenment, but that, and you know, I know that he can't necessarily teach it to me, but that doesn't mean he doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. And I thought right. it was very important because I feel like a lot of times in our mm -hmm. modern culture, right, we get taught to be told to be independent thinkers and question things. But then we also fall into the trap of having intellectual hubris. And the moment we question things, we think, oh, that person who maybe has studied, you know, X amount of years yeah, doesn't yeah. know anything that they talk about. And we know better than them. And, I f and that's one thing I liked about that scene because he doesn't feel like he knows better. He just says, I just don't think that's going to work for me. Right. You exactly. Know? Exactly. And and that's, that's a sign of another great example, a display of Buddhism and also another ap applicable component, right? Like you get past your initial, like, you know, people, you know, when you say something to someone, everyone wants to throw in their opinion right away and be like, well, yeah. this is why I think it's right. This is why yeah. I think, and that's, that's their doctrine. That's like, okay, I'm right about it. But it's like, Hey, before, you know, that's a big practice. I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure you've talked about this with me before. It's like, when someone says something to me, let me take away my initial reaction to it yeah. because that's all subjective. Right. And let me try to get to the heart of what you're saying and how do I, how do I learn this? You know, how do I truly like understand you without yeah. saying, and then, and then I can say, Hey, look, your, your, your mode right? Yeah. Your mode of life is good for you, right? And my mode of life is going to be something I might take from you. I might not take from you. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy you shared it with me before. And how would I learn if it's for or not for me, if I threw my opinion in right away, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And like another quick sign of, you know, Siddhartha maturing a little bit where he can say that, um, as a young individual, you know, and be like, Hey, this is this one's for you. Or, you know, I'm going to go ahead and move along. I'm going to go meet this girl, Kamala, and we're <laughs> going to do our thing for a little bit too, you yeah. know? But anywho, that was wild when he did when he does all that stuff, you know I mean? <laughs> dude. 
I thought the 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 thing with like you know with Kamala like that chick he meets yeah. was another really wild component because you know they don't really talk about like Buddha you know like in traditional sense being like some kind of like you know wildly romantic guy like yeah. indulging in love and like those sensual pleasures of like mm-hmm. you know like love making and he like says a lot of things about he, he used some weird pickup line on her he's, where he's like I want to study your body yeah. and I'm like it, I know Herman you're trying to come across really like suave with that but imagine if you know Siddhartha some brown dude was like baby I want to study your body <laughs> hey it worked bro it, it worked, worked. it worked for Siddhartha maybe we should have done <laughs> I'm gonna go see if that works I'll be right back <laughs> hello uh, but anywho um the, the i was i had a question i was gonna come out of that what what do you so you know i have my thoughts on why she was made a character mm. right in that in that in this whole like cinematography why do you think she was put in that in the story so i think it goes to our earlier uh discussion about how we think this novel was a, a rejection of traditional uh understanding of buddhist uh mythology and ethos and you know how you know, that, you know, you have to absorb this aesthetic, you know, uh, way of living, uh, aesthetic way of living. Um, I feel like it was trying to juxtapose that and say, hey, you know, uh, we're going to show him absorb all these, like, um, physical and indulgences and, you know, sensual pleasures, like you mentioned. Yeah. And it's still going to be a an experience where he learns from. Yeah. Right. And 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 I think that's the biggest thing, you know, all the experiences that we have came through in life, whether it's good, bad, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, with society, away from society, they're all still experiences that you can learn from and grow and get deeper. And I think that's why he threw it in there, because I think at that time and, you know, people think, yo, to be like a Buddhist, you have to reject society. And he's like, well, you can still achieve enlightenment by being within society it's all experience it doesn't matter right at the end of the day how you get there or you know how you achieve this you know uh state area of enlightenment doesn't matter how you get there as yeah. long as you get there you know and all these experiences are still valuable teachers yes yes it's like again you know what we're saying you take your opinion out of the mix and if you experience that experience in full like you might learn something right and you might take something from it and it's like it's only going to make you better it's only have another you know notch on your belt and you can like kind of like put your stamp on that okay. there's definitely easier ways of learning yeah but, yeah, yeah but it's it's i don't think uh i mean they, the, it's a cliche saying like experience is the best teacher right and i think you know uh i think we had a discussion earlier today uh, talking about a little bit about like parenting and people parenting right they you know people always like to you know uh shelter their kids and prevent them from you know you know experiencing things because they don't want them to feel hurt and all that stuff but that you know feeling of hurt is probably the best teacher they can get yeah you yeah, know? yeah and i feel like sometimes now nah, i'm not a parenting expert but i feel like sometimes in my own life you know my parents have tried to shelter me from things from from realities just because not because they were trying to do me a disservice because they that's what they thought would help me right you know right but instead uh it removed me from learning a lesson or an experience yeah. that could have benefited from me at totally. the end of the day totally so, yeah sh- like shielding 
um, you know, shielding and things like that. Like we were talking about with the anti-fragile stuff yeah. too, going back to that book, right? Small bits of volatility that aren't going to harm you are going to make you better. You know, you're going to learn from those types of things. And then, you know, the human body needs that too, you know? Um, yeah, go ahead. And I think at the same time, it also shows him, uh, they also show, put that in there to show that that's just one way of learning, but it's not also the way and right. it shows him because he obviously goes through this thing where he still does all those things and still feels empty and hollow and unfulfilled inside he's like well i did the whole samana aesthetic way now i'm gonna do the opposite go back into society and be a great businessman and right. be a gambler and do like li basically live a world very earthly and worldly life and right. not you know re and basically reject everything from my spiritual spirituality and he realizes that wasn't the way either because he's still no better than when he went first into the forest. You know? Exactly, exactly. And that's that's such a good point because he, you know, I I feel like there were so many layers to like hit that that part of that chapter. So mm -hmm. yeah, he, he got like a pretty girl. He yep. was doing his thing with her. You know, they were hooking up, doing their thing. He's out and about, you know, being a good merchant, gambling yep. and stuff like that. But like you said, all the while, you know, even when he was being a merchant, right? So he had none of like the real savviness of mm -hmm. like a merchant so his like you know his superior whatever the dude yeah. his, his boss was like saying he didn't have that but he was still able to like make deals and be successful through his like ability to have some some tranquility right so he mm -hmm. would the, the guy would say so there was one time he went to like a um like a village or something like that and um he he didn't come back with like any profit you know mm -hmm. he just went there and had lunch and something like that right and that his boss is like all pissed at him. He's like, yo, what? You wasted a whole day. He's like, no. He's like, the next time I go over there, they're going to know me. I've made a connection with them. And that's like some really sales type yeah. stuff, right? Like yeah. planting the seed, relationship building. But it's, I think in that time too, that dude was probably like really, they're probably like, oh my God, this guy is crazy. Like he yeah. didn't like bring anything, no wealth back. Yeah. And another sign of like, it doesn't always have to be like your, you're questioning and you're being like, you know, like, uh, how do I put it? You're being negative about what you're engaging with. Yeah. It can just be that, hey, you know, I'm doing well. You know, I'm doing good at this. Yeah. It's just not, I just don't feel like it's going to be the one for me. You know, I just have to move on. It doesn't always have to be like a terrible experience, you know? Yeah. I think it shows that, you know, I think, you know, I'm pretty guilty of this too. You know, like we want to achieve things, you know, in, in this life, you know, whether it's a certain status or a certain, you know, prestige at work or, you know, a title or, you know, like, you know, material wealth or stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you know, it's all like kind of meaningless, you know, yeah, at the yeah. end of the day, you can't like bring it with you, you know, when you die, you know, and all these other things, you know, I mean, I feel like we hear it, but in his, in that uh, we've heard it before. We heard all these sayings like, you know, you can work hard and be the greatest person, uh, at, you know, who achieved this. But at the end of the day, when you die, you're going to return to the dust like everybody else, yep, you know? Yep. And I think he, while he's going through that entire experience, he has that internal voice saying that, like, this is like, this is like still like meaningless. This is not, he's not getting, achieving that uh, level of enlightenment. Even though he's indulging in all this stuff and, you know, being like one of the best of his craft or, you know, yep. do, doing that, you know, and he's like a good gambler in the beginning, you know, uh, I think he kind of, you know, ends up being a terrible gambler later because out of like, uh, because he's, you know, so depressed, you know, that he's not achieving what he wants to achieve. I think, I think you hear that a lot with people who are, have reached high, 
heights in their field or whatever that they they've reached the mountaintop but it still feels meaningless right and i think that's profound because they went through all that effort went through all that thing and they think they reached a destination and then when they get there they're like well no it's just you know wasn't as cool as i thought it was going to be <laughs> up here dude yeah you know totally totally and it's it's interesting you know because like you know we always talk about the present and right now and what what i what i what i th- thought throughout the whole book which was good was anybody who you were to model yourself after in that book like you know uh Gautama or any of the people that he was like you guys got it yeah he, he always the the Herman uh Hesse always describes a level of contentment that these people have right mm-hmm. he's very keen on saying these people are content you know like he uses synonyms of that mm-hmm. and and then when when you know when uh Siddhartha finally comes to fruition right and he talks about that contentment. He says he wasn't too happy and he wasn't too sad. And he always was in this level of contentment. And I, it's like that it's such another applicable moment. It's like, are we chasing this euphoric feeling? Are we Mm. trying to always be like, Oh, this is amazing. I love it. You know? And, or, or is the goal to be like, you know, I'm in a state of, of tranquility of peace and like things are going well. And I don't feel like I have to, you know, I I don't feel like I have, enough of my space you know it's like i feel good about life you know yep. those types of things is and that that's a really solid question i think that like i ask myself on a daily basis is like are you content yeah. and i don't i don't want to ask myself if i'm happy you know yeah. all the time because you're not always going to be happy because i think it goes to that you know uh chinese uh idea of duality of yeah yin and yang you know balance you know i think you know the author tries to push that you know, hard during this. And I think that's the overarching, you know, you know, he goes through different extremes in his life, but only to get at the end, you know, a place where Siddhartha is at, you know, balanced, you know, right. Because like you said, you know, uh, a life that's only of made of good things. We think that is like, Oh, if it's my life is only good, I'll have no problems. You know, it'll be perfect, but you wouldn't be content because it's unfortunately the bad things that make the good things worth it right right and you don't want to have obviously a life full of just bad things either it's achieving that balance you know yep. uh throughout life and like you said i think that's what makes a contented life you know you're never too high you're never too low like you said that's a very strong concept in stoicism you know don't get too high don't get too low you just you know are very pragmatic about the things that happen in life you know yep and you say hey it is the way it is but, you know, life goes on and we find a way to overcome it and move on and move forward to the next thing. Right. You know, spot on, man. And even at work, even at work, you know, you know, work culture is a big thing. Right. In in this day and age, you know, and I think we've both probably been a part of some toxic environments, yeah. you know, and but is the goal to get into an environment where we're all like, hey, you know, like there's a keg at the office or like we're all like doing happy hours of time. Is that is that the goal to always be like just like laughing and joking at work? And I'm, I would say, you know, if you find that, maybe it's really good, right? But, you know, when, when you get into a better work culture, you're like, hey, you know, I, and I'm not saying tolerance is the same as contentment, but it's like if you can tolerate this work environment with, and there's not too much toxicity and you can, you can feel like you can get your work done and you can just do things and have a level of contentment, that's all the work culture I need at baseline, right? Mm-hmm. Anything else is like a, a nice to have, right? But at baseline, if I can tolerate you and like we can work together and get things done, then I don't really have to like you too much. You yeah. know what I mean? I, like in that sense, in that realm, you know? Yep. 
Um, it, it's nice if we if we all become you know friends after, but it's not a requirement, you know. <laughs> right. We just kind of gotta get get it yeah. done. Um, but anywho, so you know, we we come upon we come upon the the last chapter, which is the ferryman, right? Mm-hmm. So he leaves he leaves, and he's like, man, I again, I another another bust here, but I learned, you know, I learned about the the sensual side of life, you know, and things like that, and so. He he's he's initially not looking for this guy, right? He's just mm-hmm. looking for something else. So he happens upon the same ferryman who took him across like yep. the the water at first, and then he he starts on this journey with him, where all they're doing is they're fixing this ferry, they're taking people across, and he they're going up the mountain, and he starts learning from the river. Yep. Now, you know, in terms of the river, he hears a lot from it, right? He hears like kind of like this consistent like hum, you know, this consistent like kind of like almost like an ohm sound yep. coming from it. Um, and he also learns a lot from the old guy himself, yep. right? And the old guy had his own journey and things like that. Um, but any early onsets, what, what, what did you think about their dynamic? I think he was like the teacher. He, he, he wasn't so much of like a teacher, but like a guide yeah. for him. Yeah. That's what I think it was like. Uh, when we think of like a teacher, we're thinking of someone you sit and they, you know, tell me that knowledge. But uh, this ferryman taught Siddhartha things, but not because he was like uh, directly speaking them to him, but he was guiding him. And whether the ferryman knew it or not, or whether Siddhartha knew it or not, that was the interesting part. But the, I think his presence and him, uh, you know, you know, moving him through different events that happened in that stage was kind of like, like he was kind of like, uh, for Siddhartha, if you, if you can enlighten, like translate it to analogy of like, he was in a dark cave and he's trying to find his way out. That ferryman was kind of like the light or the torch for yeah, him yeah, yeah. to find him. Because at the end of the day, Siddhartha was still able to do it himself, but he needed that assistance to be that 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 illumination for him nice. in, a, in, in a way. No, that that in is our cave. That's a great analogy. That's a great analogy um, because, like you said, he the darkness. The, you know, the cave you're speaking about is his inability to just kind of find his way, yeah. right? Find what was good for him. And so he he had all these high aspirations of like these great people he was going to meet, and this this ferryman was just that he was a guide, and like he thought at the end of this tunnel is going to be some profound thing. It's like, no, simplicity is the key here, yeah. right? And what's interesting is, you know, they, they they bring in this kid, right, that ferryman's kid, and how that kid didn't want to be like a ferryman like his father, right? Yeah. And the kid was just resisting and resisting and resisting. And then Siddhartha is seeing this conversation, this cyclical thing happen yeah. again, where what happened to him. Yeah. And then it finally just settles in with that, those little analogies yep. between this ferryman and his son. He's like, oh shit. Like I, I have what I need actually. Yep. You know, I found everything I need. The, 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 the real gain is in the pursuit here. It's not, yep. it's, it's in simplicity. It's in contentment. It's not in anything, you know, and it's going to be his own. He's going to have yep. his own brand of it, but I can't tell you what it is, but that's what the wisdom is. And I think even uh, the author realizes that even I think he tries to be like that ferryman for us while he moves us through this yeah, novel. Nice. But at the end of the day, it's still for us to find that wisdom at the end of the book 
for ourselves you know he yeah. it, it, there's no like one profound saying at the end of the conclusion that just says bam here's the nugget of wisdom yeah you know we still when we're reading through it it's up to us to find that and if we don't you know maybe we should read read, read it again or you know do a podcast on it <laughs> yeah something like that. <laughs> that that's why i wanted to do this because I, that it was that you hit it right on the head man because i was like dude you know the book was so captivating, so I breezed through it because I was waiting, you know, you're reading all these experiences, you're waiting for that. Okay, what does he find at the end of the book? Like, what is this secret sauce? And then you get in and it just ends and you're like, well, I'll, I guess I'll go fuck myself, you know? <laughs> but um, then you, then like, you know, as I was going back through this book, you know, and like kind of pairing it with the other stuff I read about Buddhism, I was like, oh, dude, you learn tidbits along the way, you know? Yep. Every chapter you're learning about different parts of life yep. and you don't, you know that's that's a problem with a reading because like you we you know again we get so captivated with finishing the book yep. that we don't think about the learnings along yeah. the way so i'm like i'm gonna go back i'm gonna write some things down i'm gonna highlight things and try to like talk to somebody who's read it and be like what did you think about that too you know the nice part about this book is i feel like it's a you know like you mentioned it's a short book earlier so if you ever feel like hey you know you read it once and you want to pick it up again and reread it i feel like it's a book that can be reread multiple times and you will gain different and different and maybe even deeper and deeper insights every time you read it, you know? Um, so it's not like a, you know, a big, like, you know, biblical level text where it's like thousands and thousands of pages, you know? Um, and it flows pretty nicely. That's the one thing about the author. I think uh, I read somewhere that he eventually won a Nobel prize for literature nice um, but he's still you know relative obscurity i think he really got popular in the 60s you know when they had yeah, the yeah. whole counterculture hippie movement you know it was like him and a bunch of other authors that uh, fit in that similar vein but that's when he really got you know into the american you know cultural lexicon and ideology and stuff like that so um but uh you know circling back i feel like every time i've read it you know since I've, I originally read it, I think, in high school, and I'll be honest, uh, I read, like, halfway through it, and I was like, I don't understand this right, thing. Right, right. And then I spark notes the rest of it. And then I went back in, last year, reread it again. I was like, wow, this is, uh, you know, really profound. It's actually one of my favorite books of probably of all time now. And yeah, I yeah, was, yeah. like, crazy because I felt like when I was in high school, I was like, how could I not, like, see this or made it, you know, profound you know, impact on me because I think at that time I wasn't ready for to read stuff like this, not just from like a maturity state. My mind wasn't accept ready to accept this type of, you know, uh, way of thinking and knowledge, not just because I wasn't mature enough. Uh, you know, I could have been like, you know, if you're, my, if you're ready, if you're, if you approach this book, not ready to give up a little bit of control and right. let it, you know, like the ferryman guide you, if you want to dictate it, you might be unhappy where you are with the end of this book. You know, I kind of think like, honestly, some of the best times to read this book is probably when you are going through a period of transition. Mm, yeah. that Yeah. I would agree. Because I feel like then you're more open to receiving these type of ideas. Yep. If you are content or maybe have a preconceived way of coming notion coming into this book, I feel like the book will be less effective or less, you'll be less receptive. Right. It, you know? No. So it's like, do it if you're searching, right? Yeah. Do it if you need an answer. I'm not, it's not going to give you an answer yeah. by any means, yeah. but it's going to give you the tools to search for it yeah. in a more like direct way. Yeah. But, um, 
Dude, I think we can end on that note, man. We did like a little over an hour, right? For that sure. went by pretty quick, I, yeah, right? It felt like, oh, yeah. Yeah, man. So, um, dude, I would just like on this on this last note, I would say read this book. Hey. hey. And thanks for coming on, bro. For sure. Love you, man. Appreciate it. Love you too, man. Peace.